you have your Bibles, would you open up to John chapter 3? John 3. I'll be reading out of John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, and Ezekiel chapter 36. Let me give everybody a moment. Born again. Let's read. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Would you turn to Ezekiel with me? Thirty-six, starting in twenty-four. The prophet says, Ezekiel 36, verse 24 to 27. I will take from you, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your, all your uncleansliness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put it within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in all my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, like always, always illuminating, always challenging, always encouraging, always straightening out those things in us that are still crooked those many, many areas that are still crooked in our life, Father God, that you give us the mind of Christ, you call us to be living sacrifices, God. You come alongside your people in the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit, who's our advocate. He is our counselor. 
and he encourages us to walk the path, to walk in the right path, Father God. And we thank you for your word, Father God. Let the preaching of the gospel exalt your son, Jesus Christ, and your spirit today, Father God, as it's been poured out into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Speaking about being born again, uh, when it comes to this uh, concept, when it comes to this reality, when it comes to this truth, a lot of Christians just don't perceive it. They don't really understand what really takes place. We know it's something that must take place because Jesus talks about the necessity of it in John chapter 3. And we're going to be talking about that today. I want to spend more time a little later talking about what actually happened to us when we were born of the Spirit. Uh, I will speak out of John first. I will teach. I will preach out of Ezekiel. But the importance of this to understand the necessity of being born again. This is the major text in the New Testament that teaches clearly that a man must be born of the Spirit. Now, if we're Christians any length of time, we can understand that and we can explain it. But to somebody who never heard it or is a young believer, you know, it's very still mysterious. And we're going to speak about that today. We want to clear it up and remove some of the mystery out what actually happened to us on that day we were born again. Though Jesus teaches clearly that if a person is not born of the Spirit, then that person can neither see, he says, that means understand or perceive, or enter into the kingdom of God, that means to be part of the kingdom of God, and be saved. Unless something spiritually takes place and transpires in a person's soul, in a person's heart, they're exempt. They cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And it's interesting when you come to Nicodemus that Nicodemus asks, how can this be? The the proper question Nicodemus should have said is, how can I do it? What must take place? Why must I be born again? Not how, but why must I? What's the problem? What happened to me the first time that I need a second birth over here? Nicodemus doesn't ask that. We're going to speak about that today. Jesus doesn't answer the question. But what does it look like? It can be open to anybody's interpretation. It's kind of vague if you just read John chapter 3 verses 1 to 8 or verses 1 to 15. It can be kind of vague what it means to be born of the Spirit. Listen, the New Ages, they teach that they are to have a rebirth, that they enter into life through rebirth after rebirth after rebirth after rebirth. So the New Ages and the cults, they have their rendition and interpretation and their doctrine of new birth to be born again. The new birth is a very familiar metaphor within the New Age uh, teaching. Roman Catholic dogma teaches that this happens at infant baptism. That God infuses grace into the soul of the child and washes away original sin. I don't know if you hold to that today. But if you do, uh, as we explain, maybe you might want to rethink that teaching. We disagree with that. We think the Bible teaches something much better, something more God-glorifying and more saint-edifying than that teaching. At first glance, this teaching by Jesus really does seem to be vague and just about open to anyone's interpretation. But let's be sure about this. It is not. It is not. Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, should have recognized this immediately. 
Between Jesus' teaching and John's gospel and Ezekiel's prophecy, we learn much, a robust and pregnant understanding of what it means to be born again. What actually happened to a sinner when they accept Christ. And when we do, understand this, uh, not just do, but we should, then we find a clear and encouraging understanding of what happened to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In John 3, Jesus' emphasis is on the necessity of this supernatural event. It's the necessity. And it also talks about some of the means to the end. And we're going to touch upon that. But Jesus is emphasizing the necessity of to be born again. At this time, Nicodemus really should have said why and not how. If he would have dealt with the why, he would have understood from the Old Testament that this must take place. But he didn't ask that, uh, that important question. Jesus teaching on being born again or born from above or as he says in here, to be born of the spirit. It's in a narrative form, this whole text that we just read. It's a storyline. And every part reveals something what it means to be born again or how to be born again. And the story highlights several key elements that I want to just talk about here before we go into Ezekiel. Nicodemus represents something. He represents all religious people. Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel. If anybody should understand the teachings of Christ, it should be Nicodemus. Nicodemus should understand what Christ was talking about. He recognized that he was a teacher sent by God. He recognized through the signs and wonders that Christ was doing the miracles that he was a teacher sent by God. He was also the teacher of Israel. And it's interesting, when you think about this, most likely, somewhere in Christ's life, and all the times he went up, year after year after year, guess what festivals he went up to? He went up to the Passover. He was there at Pentecost. Somewhere in his life, well over 20-something years of going up to the festivals, you can be sure that Jesus heard Nicodemus teach. When Jesus says, you are the teacher of Israel, he's not saying, oh, I heard about you, Nicodemus, that you're a teacher of Israel. No, he could have said, I've heard you teach as the teacher of Israel. And Jesus could have got up at 12 years old or 15 years old or 20 years old and could have stood up in a congregation and said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And here's the time that comes. Jesus speaks out clearly. Even the best of religions is represented by Nicodemus because Judaism was... God's religion. But even that wasn't good enough. Even Judaism, God's only religion, handed down through Abraham and Moses and the prophets, was not good enough. The best of religion by the best of people, Nicodemus represents the best of Judaism. But yet he still needs to be born of the Spirit. Why? Because we know that Nicodemus comes to him at night. And there's two texts in, this, in these 15 verses that talk about what the problem is. He came to him at night, and we know the, the, the spiritual connotation of this is spiritual darkness. It's blindness. He's in blindness. That's the metaphor. 
He's also born of the flesh. And what that means is that every generation from Adam, after Adam and Eve sinned, two sinners, Adam the sinner and Eve the sinner, could only produce more sinners. They're born of the flesh. They've born in sin. They cannot please God. Anyone who follows the flesh, Paul teaches us, cannot please God. You have to be led by the Spirit. So we see the why that Nicodemus did an X. Jesus gave him the answer. You're in darkness, you're in blindness, and you're spiritually dead. And you don't even know it. You're preoccupied with the religion. It's a good religion, but you're not obeying it from the heart. Something needs to take place. Rules, regulations, no matter, no matter how sincere we are, can never satisfy God. God needs something more than superficial, external obedience to laws, rules, and regulations. Even his own. Don't miss that. Even his own. Superficial, outward expression of following the commandments does not work in God's economy. It can never satisfy God. What Jesus is saying is only heart-to-heart religion could ever satisfy God. One that loves the Lord personally from the heart. This heart-to-heart religion, uh, I love the Lord religion, can only come about by the Father. It's born from above or born again. It can only happen by the Father. It's a supernatural love for God. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. Our love to him is just a cause and effect. We're we're responding to his love for us in Christ. The agency of this supernatural rebirth from above, from the Father, the agency is the Holy Spirit. Here he's used as the wind. His work on the hearts and the minds of humans is invisible. It's a hidden, invisible work. That's what Jesus compares it to here. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. It blows to and fro. You hear it, but you do not see where it's coming. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. He works in the hearts and the minds of us who believe in the visible, hidden manner. But it's very powerful like the wind. We cannot see it. But we know when it's there, we can feel it, and we can see the effects. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's a hidden, inner, spiritual operation that carries with it outward manifestations of obedience, loving obedience. But it's inside. The means to this is Jesus Christ. The means to this spiritual rebirth, the means of the Holy Spirit's ministry amongst us, is the lifting up of Christ. As Christ says, if I be lifted up, is the Old Testament reference in Numbers 21 of a supernatural work of God and healing his people physically. But Jesus on the cross here is is a reference to his cross work and us being healed spiritually within And this is important to know, because anybody can say, oh, I'm born of the Spirit, and I've been born again, and God lives with me, and the wages love that, God lives within me. I can't, now it's subjective. It's what you believe, what you feel, what you believe, what you feel, and we we go toe-to-toe all we want, but how do we know? We're generally born of the Holy Ghost. 
How do we know? Because it's always in conjunction to the preaching of Christ and his work at the cross. That is the major difference. When someone responds to hearing about Christ, hearing about their sin, hearing what Christ has done, when Christ was lifted up and he died for our sins, and then through preaching through the centuries, through the centuries, the preaching of Christ, that's where the Holy Spirit does his greatest work. The Holy Spirit does his greatest and most powerful work when people and uh, and teachers are faithful to the gospel message, and it's at that time that the Spirit blows to and fro. As sinners hear about a dying Savior, that the Holy Spirit applies that work to their hearts. Amen? Amen. So this is the hidden work. And that's important to know, because anybody can say, oh yeah, I have the Holy Spirit, God lives in me. But unless they are lifting up Christ and what He has done for them personally at the cross, you can rest assured they can talk about all the spiritual matters they want. It is not the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is in you. You speak about nothing else but Jesus Christ. You're concerned about nothing else but Jesus Christ. Jesus says the Holy Spirit comes not to glorify himself, but to glorify me. That's why when we sing, we, we sing about Jesus. When we're born again, it's, it's all about Jesus. And it takes young Christians many years. To, is it the Father or the Son? The whole, who am I praying to? You know, and and they've got to figure out this Trinitarian language of who am I praying to and so on and so forth. Because it's still confusing. And then over time, God straightens that out for us. But all our attention is on who when we're born again? It's on Jesus. It's on Christ. That's how we know the difference. All the supernatural inner work of the Holy Spirit takes place only when Jesus Christ is lifted up as the personal Savior. A clear and articulate expression and explanation of why Christ died. Clear and articulate articulate expression and explanation of why Christ died. And just as important, a clear, articulate expression and explanation of why we need Because we're sinners. And we've broken the commandments of God. In thought, action, attitude, motive, agenda. We have failed God in every area of our life. That's why we need Christ. I can't talk about the love of Jesus. I can't talk about the love of the Father. I can't talk about being born again. I cannot talk about that until I clearly express the need of it. It's those two doctrines coming together. Our need, God's provision, the preaching of Christ, his atoning death, that the spirit of God comes and works upon our hearts. And you're just sitting there. I can remember that day I was sitting there and I heard about Jesus. I heard about Jesus. Something was going on. I had these warm feelings on the inside towards Christ I never had before. And I can remember someone say, do you want to be saved? I was in my heart. I was like, I want to be saved. I didn't know what that, I didn't understand that. But all I know is I came up to the front and, and, I, and I said some prayer and I accepted Jesus into my heart. And I can tell you now from that night, I remember going home that night, there was three things I remember. I still remember today. It was as clear as day. Jesus Christ is God. Period. 
My sins were forgiven, period. And the Bible is the word of God, period. That's it. I was Jesus crazy. My sins are forgiven crazy. And the Bible crazy. And I'm still Jesus crazy. My sins are forgiven crazy. And I'm still Bible crazy. Because the wind blows to and fro. You hear it, but you don't see it. Why do three of my friends sit next to me? And the other three left? And I'm still here. Because the wind blows to and fro. And I must say, one of those friends is walking with the Lord now. Powerfully walking with the Lord. After many years, he came to understand Christ. So it's important to express and to teach with clarity and articulate what Christ has done and just as clear to articulate our personal need for him. Very important. Jesus taught the necessity of the new birth. He mentions it five times. To be born again twice and to be born of the Spirit three times. The reason for the new birth is sinners, as I said, produce sinners. The flesh produces flesh. What's born of the flesh, what's born of Adam, is dead. It's spiritually dead. It's born of the flesh. But what's born of the spirit is spirit. The reason is because we're dead in sins. Paul brings this out more clearly in his teachings. We were dead in sins and transgressions. The agency that brings us all about is the Holy Spirit. His work is a hidden mystery that takes place when Christ is lifted up. When I come up here, I am not going to try to convince someone they're a sinner. I'm not going to try to convince someone they need to be saved. I don't go that way. I don't manipulate. Pastor John doesn't manipulate. We don't counterfeit. We don't do nothing. We come up with a clear, articulate expression through preaching and teaching of your need and my need to be saved and God's work on the cross for us. And it's at that moment that the Holy Spirit touches hearts. And that's why we're saved. The means to all this is Christ lifted up. His work on the cross of dying for sinners. Our only part is to believe. He who believes, in verse 15 says, will have eternal life. The prophet Ezekiel tells us what this all means on the inside. Jesus didn't get to the heart of the matter. He didn't explain it. It's like what Jesus did. It says, here's the car to the Ferrari. Go enjoy it. Ezekiel says, let's get under the hood and let's look at the magnificence of this engine. Let's take it apart. Let's see how it works. And that's what the prophet does for us. The prophet opens up the hood of salvation and what it means to be born again. He says, now let's take a look. At the work on the inside. Let's take a look at what the Holy Spirit has done on the inside of us. That's what the prophets do. You would say, well, why doesn't Jesus teach that? Why is the prophet teaching, you know, a thousand years before Christ comes that the prophet's saying this? Why is that? Understand something. The prophet, when the prophet prophesied that a new time was coming, there was an immediate partial fulfillment with that in the second uh, uh, bondage that they were under, under Babylon. Uh, God's people came back out of Babylon into Jerusalem under the slavery they were in. And from there they built a new temple and there was new, uh, uh, there was new exodus, a new temple building and so on and so forth. So there was a partial fulfillment to that. But here's the major fulfillment. It's Christ and his dying for us and saving us from our sins and the exodus from Satan and from sin and be given the Holy Spirit. This is the full fulfillment 
of the prophet's prophecy. We see this in the book of Hebrews that talks about this. But what it means on the inside now, what does it mean to our minds? What does it mean to our affections? What it means to our wills? Because God is doing a work on the inside. And as Christians, we should understand uh, the, the concept of the soul. Now, the soul has three faculties. It's the mind, it's the intelligence. It's the heart with the affections. And it's our will. With the mind, we can grasp and understand the will of God. Don't miss that. With the mind, we can grasp and understand the will of God. With the emotions, with the affections, we can love the will of God. And with the will, I can make that choice freely from my heart to obey God. Lovingly obey that which God commands. That's what the soul is for. The minds is what we think about. What's our priorities? What drives us on the inside? What do we think about most of the time? I can tell you right now, if God's not in your life, it's not God. And I can tell you now, if you're born again, God starts to become more and more of a what? Priority. More important. That's the difference between being in the darkness and being in the light. When we're in the darkness, we might have went to church like Nicodemus, but after church was over, it was all about what? Self. All about self. The mind wasn't engaged into knowing the will of God. Nor were the affections engaged in loving God. Our lacks, where were our passions before Christ came into our life? Where were our desires? Where were our affections? What did we love? What drove us? What gave us fulfillment? Was it God? Of course not. Again, it was us. Self-fulfillment. Self-glorification. That's what drove us. And our wills at the end of the day. In the end, what will we follow? Will we follow? Or who will we follow? Will we follow God? Will we follow Christ? Will we follow ourselves? At the end, what gets our attention? What gets our affection? If we're not born again, you know what that answer is. It could never possibly be God. We can be devoted to church. We can be devoted to certain devotions and sacraments. But our hearts and minds could be a trillion miles away. You can be sitting at church thinking about pasta. You can be sitting at church thinking about the horses. You can be sitting at church thinking about lust, about greed, about anything else. And you're like, what was that? What is he talking about? God, what was that? Uh, I'll take the host here. Give it to me. and Give me this little drink of wine. And, you know, it's like, and we go through this whole thing. But God is not in our mind. He's not in our affections. And we're not choosing to obey him. Am I right? That's what happens. So the prophet Ezekiel is talking about something that's going to take place. And listen to how he says in verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. First thing you have to understand here, in these four verses, it says, I will, that's God speaking on his own behalf, I will, Jehovah will, he says seven times. Understand something about this. When I will, when I I am says I will, you can rest assured, it's done. It's a sovereign work of God. 
That God himself goes into our life. He doesn't ask. He goes, you can be blinded by religion. You can be blinded by addiction. You can be blinded by greed. You can be blinded by lust. You can be blinded by unbelief. You can be blinded by brokenness. It makes no difference. When I will says, when I am says I will, he comes into our life no matter where we are. And he begins to do something to turn our life around. Why are you and I even sitting here today? The last thing I was trying to do was get saved. The last thing I was trying to do was hate sin and love God. The last thing I wanted was forgiveness because I didn't think I needed forgiveness. But I heard something and something started happening on the inside. That means I am was doing what he says here. I will. I'm coming into your life. And I'm going to start doing the work in your life. And I'm going to start drawing you like Jesus says. No man can come to the Father. No man can come to me unless the Father draws him. And that's what the prophet is saying here. I will. I will take you. I will draw you from your addictions, from your lust, from your greeds, from your religion, from your unbelief. No matter where you are, I'm coming into your life. He can go right into the Muslim home. Go past the father. Go past the mother. Take the daughter and say, you're mine. You're saved. You're going to hear the message, you're going to believe the message, and I'm going to save you. He'll go right into the crack house. He'll go right into the lust house. He'll go right wherever he is. He goes, now start talking to him about Christ because the great I am is about to do something. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. Because God does something in us. When we hear the teaching and the preaching of Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to blow to and fro, and he starts to begin to do something in our hearts. Make no mistake about this. This is a sovereign work of God. Period. He's not telling Israel, if Israel you would do this, I'll do something for you. He says, no, I will. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. It's over. I'm coming into your life. Whether you like it or not, I'm going to save you. Paul teaches us through Isaiah, I reveal myself to those who don't even ask. I show myself savingly. To those people who don't even know me. Paul went to preach in all the whole Mediterranean world. They were, they were worshiping darkness. They were worshiping uh, idolatry and idols. And, and Paul just went there and started talking about a savior. And they just dropped everything and they came to Christ. They came out of bondage to homosexuality, adultery, drunkenness, murder, lying. But they came and they believed in Christ. They were washed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Just as the prophet says, I'll come, I'll take you from the nations. Oh, you don't know. He didn't just mean the Jews. He'll take any sinner from any nation. And I will save you. He goes on to say, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for total forgiveness. Please don't miss this. Only the born again believer knows what it means to be totally forgiven. All shame, all guilt, cleanse as brand new. And what you don't understand until you're a Christian, shame and guilt are... are it, it, it's synonymous with running away from God. Do you remember what happened to Adam and Eve when they felt guilt and they felt shame? And God came into the picture. Where'd they go? They hid. Guilt and shame doesn't get people to say, Jesus, here I am. It keeps people away from God. That's why people won't come. People love church. If there's no conviction, if there's no preaching, 
They're like, yeah, this is safe. I don't know I'm a sinner. I can do religion. I can still sin. But when it comes to the preaching of Christ and the cross, people either have to get saved or they have to run. You can't do both. You can hang around for a while, but after a while, if you're not saved, people are going to run for the hills. When God cleanses us and and from all shame, all guilt, total forgiveness, this is a wonderful work of grace on our conscience. Now I don't want to run from God. I want to run to God. I want to run to God to tell him I love him. I want to run to God to tell him I need him. I want to run to God and tell him I failed again. I need more forgiveness. Jesus, would you wash my feet again? Uh, Brian, you've been at this 15 years. You've been at this 20. I know, Lord, but I need you again. I need you again. I need you again. Why? Because Jesus says, once you're clean, you don't need to be washed again, Peter. You just need your feet washed. You've been cleansed. As the prophet said, I will come. I will cleanse you from the inside out. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. You're totally forgiven. Period. This is Christianity. This is Christ. He takes the desensitized conscience year after year after year of piling on sin and rebellion against God. We can't even hear God. But God draws us out of every nation. He draws us out of every lust, every sin. He draws us out. And we can start hearing God again. We say, Lord, forgive me. And he cleanses us. He sprinkles us. Jesus says you need to be cleansed of water and the spirit. Most likely it has its fulfillment here. Paul talks about the regeneration and washing of the Holy Spirit. You're not just born again, but the Holy Spirit comes, as the book of Hebrews says, and says your conscience has been cleansed from dead works. To have a clean conscience, it's beautiful. It's magnificent to walk in here. I didn't say a perfect conscience. I said something better. A clean conscience. To know that even though I still fail, God accepted me. There's no condemnation. And every time I walk into the house of the Lord, every time I pick up the Bible, every time I put on praise and worship, any time I speak to people about the Lord, understand I can do it from a clean conscience because God has totally forgiven us. Now with a clean conscience... Total forgiveness. God's not even asked me to do anything yet. He does it all. I am. Came in his will. Cleansed me. Forgave me. Washed me. I'm just enjoying forgiveness. I'm just enjoying forgiveness. Guilt and shame. is We're not running away from God anymore. God is part of our life. We want God. We want to obey God. When we fail, we want to ask for forgiveness. We're quick to repent. He says in verse 26, And I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I will put within you. I remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian of the 1800s, wrote a book called Religious Affections. And I remember reading that book, Old English. Took me months to get through it. My heart was just going back. He was talking about everything I was experiencing. This new love for God. These new religious affections that God, He takes the old out. These affections just for self. And He gives us a new heart. Affections for Him. And this is the whole engine of Christianity. This new heart that God gives us through the new birth. It's a heart that seeks to please God. It's not opposed to God anymore. We wake up wanting to please God. 
We understand true joy. It's in our hearts. It's not because of something happening. It's just there because God did something great in us. And we're forgiven and we're cleansed. And we got a new conscience. And we got this true hope, this true joy. No matter how bad life is, we got this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That no matter what, nothing can separate me from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. Nothing, no matter tribulation or anything in life. Nothing can separate me from what I need the most. And that's a close walk with God. He teaches us to be contentment with a little or a lot. We start to understand true relationships based on mutual love and faith. This all comes with the new heart. We're tender towards the concerns of God and the concerns of other people. With this new heart, we, we start to feel what real heart prayer is. We're not, we're not reciting something. Remember, we used to recite and recite and recite and recite and recite and recite. Year after year, I recited until that one day I said, Oh God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And with all my heart, I meant it. I meant it. For the first time, I was alive spiritually. And so were you if you're born again. Worship. It wasn't a guitar I heard today. It wasn't a man up there playing music at a live concert. I was before the throne of God and my heart was elevated to worship my God. Why? Because we're born again. He's given us a new heart to pray, a new heart to obey, a new heart to worship, a new heart to witness, a new heart to love the word of God, a new heart to show compassion and love, mercy, and forgiveness. Truly, as Paul says, we're alive for the first time. We're alive to God and we're dead to sin. And most of all, this new spirit. He's identified in the book of Galatians by the Apostle Paul as the spirit of Christ. We receive the spirit of Christ. What that means, church, whether you know it or not, we're beginning to love the Father the way Christ loved the Father. We're beginning to obey the Father as Christ obeyed the Father. We can never do it perfectly as Christ. Never. But when you feel that joy of obeying the Lord, that's what Christ felt. He speaks about it in John 15. He wants to give us the joy that he has to obey God's commandments. There is this joy. You could be in a room with 10,000 people living in sin and all the sinful activity going on and you're over there saying, all I want is God. All I want is God. I don't need to do that anymore. just want to obey the Lord. That's the spirit of his son. It's a heart that longs to obey God. It's all a gift from God. The last verse says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. We've moved from a new heart, from a new conscience, to a new ability, this new power, the power not to sin. The power of contrary choice. Before we come to the Lord and sin called us, it just weakened us. And over a period of time, sin owned us. As John taught last week, 
He who sins is a slave to sin. Once you start down that road, it owns us. It owns us. It owns us. And all of a sudden you come and you hear the message of salvation. You accept Christ. The wind blows to and fro. You know you're forgiven. You know you're saved. You know Jesus is God. You know the Bible is real. And, and all of a sudden there's this new work of religious affections going on. You don't know what it all means, but you, you, you feel like the sun is brighter. The sky is bluer. The grass is greener. You're Jesus crazy. You're Jesus conscious. You're God conscious. You just want to please God. You want to love God. You want to sing to God. You want to praise God, you want to pray to God, and you want to share God with everybody else, that's what it means when it happens when you're born again, something wonderful goes on, and all of a sudden you got this power to contrary to choice, you used to act a certain way, and now you're like, no, I don't want to act that way anymore anymore and he says this, I will cause you to walk in my statutes sometimes we think there's this tug of war as Paul says, we think, we misinterpret when it says that the flesh lust or wars against the spirit and the spirit warreth against the flesh. Don't think that the spirit's going toe to toe like this. It's not this kind of fight. The spirit just leads us in a different direction. He shows us what's sweet to the soul. He shows us what's liberating. He shows us what glorifies God. He shows us what makes us happy and joyful on the inside. He shows us this. And these other things, they just fade away. These old voices that used to call us backwards and into the world to do old things, it just fades away. And the voice of God becomes louder and louder and louder. That's how the spirit wars against the flesh. He doesn't go toe-to-toe with it. He just draws us in a different direction. That's Christianity. This can take many years in a Christian's life to start understanding and start living in the power of the Spirit. To start walking obediently and joyfully to the Lord. I wish I can tell you that as soon as you're saved and born again, all these things just happens instantaneously. Because I know what people are saying, Brian, that sounds great, but that's not where I'm at. But I'm going to preach it the way the Bible declares it, and then we work out our salvation with... Don't we do it together? Don't we encourage each other to love and good works? Tell me, are you closer to God now than when you first got saved? Do you want to obey him now more than you ever did before? It's a growing grace. It's a growing grace. God gives us all to us when we're first born again. And then as Paul says, as passes, we labor over you until Christ is formed in you. And you know the freedom for what Christ died for. And you know the freedom and the sweetness of obeying the Lord. You know how sweet it is to talk about the Lord. You know how sweet it is to pray and to read and to study and, and, to, and, and, to, and to pray and to praise God. It's sweet. Once you get turned on to that, my job is over. It's over. But it's yours. So we get a clear understanding from the prophet of what takes place, what growingly, growingly, takes place in a true believer's life over a period of the rest of our life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being born again. We thank you for taking us out of the darkness and the coldness and the emptiness and the confusion of religion. We thank you, oh God, that something real and dynamic has happened within us. We thank you, the great I am, for taking your will and drawing us out of the muck and the mire 
the unbelief, the religion, the sin, uh, the anger, the whatever it is, you drew us out of that and you drew us to, to the light of Christ. We thank you, O oh Father God, that you have given us a new heart. We thank you that Paul calls us a living sacrifice now. We thank you for renewing our mind, for taking off the old man and putting on a new man. God, let us encourage one another while it's still today to love and good works. Let us not neglect the fellowship of the saints, Father God. I pray for everyone in this room, Father God, that they would draw closer to you now, not next year. No resolution now. Let today be the day that when they hear your voice, they believe. So bless your people today in Jesus' name.